Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's used to being fashionably late, but always on time, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I assume you were talking about the SEC-ness of it all, Gerald. Um, like Ashanti, um, this move is, is always on time. Um, summer 2024. Uh, Not always there when you call. Yeah, it, it, it's, that's fair. Um, it, it, but we'll be there in the backseat of a Yukon. No, uh, the, the thing is, um, summer 2024 is still 16 months away, so we still have to put up... Uh, with these um, doofuses in the Big 12 for a little bit longer, and I imagine it's going to be unbelievably insufferable. I had a a side bet going on whether there's going to be more defensive holdings called on the Texas Longhorn football defense than offensive holding penalties against by the opponent. Um, We shall see. Um, It's going to be probably not fun. Um, It's like interesting things, right? Like baseball, we know Big 12 is pretty good. We know the SEC baseball is monstrous. And also you go from nine teams to 16, right? So it's going to, you know, it's going to schedules are going to look interesting with um, teams you can play, can't play. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Look, I, I, we've been waiting for it. We know, we knew it was coming. Um, Now we have a date. Now we can start the countdown. We can start thinking about logistics. Um, Schedules will start to leak out across various sports in the coming months. So it's going to be interesting. Um, You know, uh, the idea of Thanksgiving football games against hated rivals coming back into perspective. I mean, it's all, it's all coming home. I'm just glad we could stop like fronting, right? Like <laughs> this is all, like that's the the Twitter beef and everybody acting like neither team really wanted to play each other is like when you find out your best friend is moving in elementary school and you pretend like you didn't like them and you like kind of pick on them <laughs> on the last day. So like I didn't like them anyways. Kevin was kind of a jerk anyway. I didn't like it really because you're beat up inside and you're a child so you don't know how to process <laughs> your emotions, right? That's what it was down to the T, down to being children on the internet. But um, I the, the SEC move is, again, interesting to me. Uh, I was excited for it, and then the, the excitement when it went official also turned into a little bit of like, oh, now we actually have to do this thing, right? Like, it's not just posturing and pontificating now, Texas. Uh, and OU actually have to uh, go and compete, which Texas is positioning itself well, I think. Uh, we'll find out more this season. There are uh, high hopes that the uh, – Preseason S&P Plus came out this week, and Texas is um, one of the teams that continues to game that system and shows up high in spite of middling, we'll say, results on the field. But uh, it's not football season, Kyle, and we'll talk more about football season as it comes. Texas has one more year in the Big 12 before all this SEC stuff even really matters. But the competition is not just going to be stiff on the gridiron. The SEC is also one of, if not the best, baseball conferences in the country as well. And uh, Texas, two years ahead of joining the SEC, has to do a little bit of reload. So we're going to talk the baseball team this week, do our big baseball preview as they open up the season tomorrow, the day you're listening to this, uh, at home, at the dish. We'll down the 40, talk about basketball, both teams still atop the Big 12, but no longer solo up there due to a couple of tight games. All of the ranked... Uh, winter and spring sports just absolutely kicking butt and taking names. Not a lot of BOL this week, but some fun Godzilla Tron, and obviously we'll close the show out banging the drum. So last year, David Pierce had high hopes and high expectations for the Texas baseball team. Started the year number one, ended up in Omaha, but did not was not able to finish the job after some injuries and uh, some bullpen regression. We'll go ahead and say um, a lot happened between those. Again, uh, there was regression in the bullpen. Starting pitchers got uh, injured and left like the, for the season after three games, right? Um, big events. Texas uh, underachieved and overachieved, I think, in some ways simultaneously. Uh, if you had told me that Texas would still make it to Omaha, even if they lost. Uh, the guy who's probably should have been their ace last year, Still an overachievement in my book, but 
Texas ranked in just one poll. They're unranked in all of them. Uh, outside of the coaches poll, they snuck in there at number 24, probably because they have to replace like 11 members of last year's squad that were key uh, participants, including nine that went to the pros and two that decided to transfer out. And there's also a turnover on the coaching staff. So a lot of production for Texas to replace. Uh, David Pierce spoke to the media Wednesday and kind of gave us an insight into what um, what the staff's going to look like. But Kyle, I think there's an opportunity um, just to like set and reset expectations for Texas. Like this is a this is an Omaha or bust program each and every year. And I is that a fair expectation? Like as we look at what Texas has coming into the year. Yes, <laughs> I mean the the long and short of it is yes, right? Do they should should they win a national championship every year? That's a lofty expectation in any sport, right? I think you know UConn women's basketball at the height of its its dominance, um, Texas swimming under Eddie Reese. Like there's a few programs that can rightfully say now the Texas rowing program can rightfully say they expect to win a national championship every year. It's tough. I don't think there's ever been a baseball team. USC had a run in a certain decade, you know, like there have been LSU teams that were really great consistently. Texas had um, a decade of dominance, but to expect to win every single year for an extended period of time is tough. To make it to Omaha, though, is the standard that we've set, right? Texas has been there more than anyone else, I believe 37, 38 times. Um, the, the rate, if you extrapolate that out over, you know, a uh, hundred plus years of playing baseball, you don't even make Omaha every year, right? Like, I know that that is not fun for fans to hear, but you know, Pierce has actually made Omaha at a slightly above average rate for even our lofty standards. So um, it comes down to, uh, we talked about there have been some overachievements in in last season, right? Gerald said there's overachievement and underachievement, right? Mm-hmm. There have been years when they gutted their way to Omaha and we didn't see it coming. Maybe that'll be similar to this year. There have been years where the expectations were incredibly high and they probably didn't quite live up to him like last year. There's a year in the middle of that where, you know, they they finished dead last in the Big 12, which is unthinkable. And then there's been COVID years that have canceled seasons or, or changed them um, almost, you know, to the point of, of beyond recognition. So it's been an interesting run for Pierce. This team, as we will we'll talk about and, and break down a little bit more, is definitely a transition team. You have changes in the coaching staff. You have almost wholesale turnover of a roster from last year, right? You, you have, like Gerald said, nine, uh, eight players in, in, in the draft, and including, you know, you're, you're replacing 99 of your record 128 home runs, right? They, they replace more home runs than the previous record for home runs uh, before last year was, right? They, they, they at almost every level, and including your Friday night ace pitcher as well, um, have to have to hope that people can step in um, and and I don't know if you can even ask be as good as their predecessor. Maybe in some cases will be better, um, but at the very least, you know, find a new way, a new way to play, a new way to win. It's not going to be through just bashing, you know, two to four dingers a night. Um, Hey, if, if somehow that craziness happens with this roster, I, I will happily grow. But I think you're going to see a different team, a different makeup, play a different way. Maybe not historically different. You might see some Augie ball and, and hit and run, uh, you know, low scoring pitching duels that, that Texas was known for for a lot of years. Right. It, you could see last year be the outlier. But I definitely think a lot of things about this team. If you just tuned in last year to watch the home run derby play out over a season and that was your baseline of Texas baseball, a lot of things are going to look quite different and and including not having a number next to their name, which I think honestly with the amount of uncertainty on this team is not unfair. No, and I think again, you you mentioned there's going to be variants from last year and um last year was Aberration doesn't seem like the right word, but when you hit basically 130 home runs in a year, like that is not normal production. There's a reason why it's the record, right? Um, So for like Texas, they're going to look different, not just the players on the field, but the way that they play the game. Uh, We got news of the weekend rotation that Texas will be uh, running. Lucas Gordon, last year's ERA leader for the team, went seven and two, uh, will be your Friday night starter. Zane Morehouse, uh, who... 
came up, came up with 42 strikeouts in 39 innings, but had a 6.0 ERA last year. year. Uh, and then Travis Steele, who is going to be uh, the Sunday pitcher. He made some starts in the Big 12 tournament and the regional. Uh, Tanner Witt is going to be hopefully available mid-April. If you remember, he was injured uh, early in the season last year. I think it was like his first or second outing. I don't remember. Uh, but he was injured had season ending surgery and now is back with a bionic arm. He should be back uh, toward the start of conference play here, hopefully. But I think the thing, the question that I have, I think for Texas, the, the starters, I think we're going to need to see, but the, the issue I think I had last year was the big clear issue for a lot of folks is the bullpen. I, I think, no. and that's part of the reason why, um, that's part of the reason why there was coaching turnover, right? Because the Texas bullpen didn't just not progress. I think they regressed from year to year and even throughout the year. And so is a guy like LeBaron Johnson to be able to come in and kind of be the talent that Texas thinks he can be? Is there going to be a guy? Because you could almost set your watch to like a mid to late inning home run that would flip the game for Texas uh, and ultimately cost them in some key spots. Yeah, so let's talk about the pitchers, Gerald, and we can we can start with the rotation. I, I what I'll say is, look, start with the starters, right? I think we all knew Lucas Gordon was going to be the Friday night starter this year. A different, um, a different Friday night arm than we're used to. Um, typically, it's a big righty who gets thirteen strikeouts. That's what that's what they look like. Our pitchers on Friday nights, you have a, a crafty Californian lefty uh, at the top of Texas's rotation on Friday, but he earned it, right? I think Lucas Gordon. Um, had a great a great season when he wasn't expected to be in the in the top three of a of a rotation when wit injury slid him in and then he ended up just making kind of himself into the most consistent right we we had uh, Pete Hansen who who was the Friday night starter and then Tristan Stevens who ended up actually moving out of the starting rotation towards the end right um so Gordon gave some consistency last year and they're hoping we'll we'll keep that the thing that I'm I'm curious about with Gordon is you know his changeup is his is his money pitch his fastball is nice but his changeup is his money pitch he added a slider um he didn't throw his curveball almost at all he was a two pitch kind of guy with a little bit of curveball um when he needed it but um now that he has a true three pitch and he worked on his slider during the off season and he Saw it in the in the alumni game, broke it out a little bit. It, it's it's going to be interesting, especially against righties. Um, if he he has another out pitch beyond just the changeup, that could be interesting to get him some more strikeouts. Um, but if he can keep the the batting average and ERA down, keep uh, keep hitters into ground ball situations, and and um, he's going to be required to keep the runs low. Sunday is Travis Steely, who I actually thought it was going to be Charlie Hurley, the six foot eight UC uh, USC transfer. Um, was surprised to see Travis Staley was you know a guy who came out of the pen, started you know, three or four games at least last year, midweek starter and and kind of heavy game rotation starter at times for the team. Um, but looks like the Sunday starter at least to start the year. Um, I know he started in the Austin Regional and Big Twelve tournament, so it'll be you know sunday is your is your you know sweep decider either do you sweep or do you avoid the sweep or you know the series winner so it's an important position but i you know as much as i talked about those two guys first i think honestly this team begins and ends with zane morehouse right a guy who remember last year when um d1 baseball's kendall rogers came by in the fall and said Guys, you've heard a lot of these names, but you know who has the best stuff on the Texas roster right now is this young kid, Zane Morehouse. And, and everyone kind of said, well, really? You know, and, and there were whispers and there were murmurs, and, and his stuff was there. His ERA was six, so he, he gave up some runs, uh, missed a little bit. Um, so if he can get his you know legitimately first-round draft pick type stuff that he has, him and Tanner Witt both could be first-round picks. Um, and again, if Morehouse is, is even better than a healthy wit with with his upside right that's saying something but you know if, if morehouse can can control that as a saturday starter um and and be electric then then i think you know this team can do something but like you said gerald um wit will be kind of hanging over until he can come back they don't want to rush him but it will be um the big piece that's not there and then um you know baron johnson a guy who can throw 97 on his day is is any team in the country wants him. Dre Duplantier, just with, with injuries, doesn't have quite that same stuff. Robbed him of, of his high heat. But, you know, he, he's got a lot of experience. He's been there a long time. Um, he'll be a guy they, they go to a lot. Might Maybe an occasional starter. Um, Chris Stewart, the big lefty from San Jacinto, the Juco guy, is um, someone who I think 
there is going to be an innings eater for this team. I, I don't exactly know. The big news was Luke Harrison, um, who was probably their most consistent arm out of the pen last year, is done with Tommy John surgery, um, which just announced this week. So that's that's a big blow for a, you know a roster that has a lot of arms, but not a lot of known entities. Right? There's a lot of upside, a lot of talent, a lot of things, but but not incredibly well known. Um, there's an Arkansas transfer. Maybe he'll get to pitch against his former team, Heston Toll, who had some injuries, but uh, uh, has a really, really, really good slider. Could be a you know a, a guy maybe by the end of the year is our closer. Who knows? That's not uh, a set role yet. Um, Cody Howard is uh, a guy who transferred with Baylor coach uh, Steve Rodriguez. Didn't get to play for him last year, but followed him over from Baylor and and hits 92 is dependable. Could also be a guy who's a late inning stopper, so it'd be interesting to see. I think Texas has a lot of question marks. They have to find their roles, find who's going to pitch when. Your situational guys. There's a lot that has to be figured out, but we do know it starts with Lucas Gordon. We know the upside of Zane Morehouse, and then everything else behind it uh, for the starters, and and especially for the guys who are who are first out of the pen. Um, what does that look like? We'll we'll find out very soon. I mean, the same thing goes for the uh, players in the field and, and the guys behind the plate. The key returner, really the one key returner, uh, Dylan Campbell leads the group. Uh, Eric Kennedy, who's moving out to center field, and then Mitch Daly moving uh, to shortstop. The rest of the uh, infield is going to be uh, relatively new faces or potentially weren't the guys that carried a lot of water for Texas uh, last year. Uh, Garrett Guillemette, uh, Jared Thomas, Jack O'Dowd, Jalen Flores, and then Porter Brown out in left field. I don't know how to say this enough, and I don't know how to say this um, as clearly as I can, but like this is this team is going to look completely different than last year's team, like in every sense of the word. I, I think, again, you could, you would always, you would defensively, I think specifically, I'm curious to see how this group comes together because you don't have a guy um, like Trey Faltini out there mm -hmm. at shortstop who can kind of just f uh, flag anything or Silas Arduan behind the uh, plate, right? Like that throwing people out left and right. Like that is going to be, um, a big adjustment. I think fans are going to, uh, there's going to be an expectation that they're that the defense specifically is going to be at that level. And I think we need to set our expectations accurately this year. The season is going, it's going to be a good season. Texas will likely make the postseason, but there is um, a, this is going to be probably a regression year for Texas or a reloading year for Texas. Um, and this is going to be a year where, where Texas, where the Texas coaching staff uh, really makes its money, right? Like they're mm -hmm. going to have to coach this group up uh, because it's all almost all fresh meat in in on both sides, uh, on the mound and in the field. And so I, I, I I'm I'm going to beat this horse one more time. Like I think we have to set our expectations that like Texas is probably going to be competing for the middle of the conference, probably a third to fifth ish place in the conference. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. There's an upside to this team where if a lot of these young guys take, you know, hit closer to their, I'll call this a high ceiling team with a pretty high floor. Like it's not going to be the bottom half of the big 12. It's just not, there's too much talent um, across the, the, the roster. Um, the high ceiling is if a lot of these guys just catch fire, Early, a lot of these freshmen contribute. You know, a lot of these, uh, these some of these transfer portal hits are, are, are you know, as good as advertised or better. Um, there, there, there's a path, I think, to, to Texas maybe getting as high as, like you said, third. Um, I think fifth is, is, is a solid and respectable finish in, in this year, which is a pretty solid Big 12. Like, when you talked about that lineup, right, there's there's a couple guys, and, and when you talk about defense specifically at the hot corners, who they're going to be playing two freshmen, right? And... It just is what it is. Um, you're you're trying to replace, you know, Skylar Messenger came in is is just a, I mean, they have knocked it out of the park in consecutive years with a Mike Antico transfer and then a Skylar Messenger transfer, where Messenger was legitimately one of the best defensive third basemen in the country last year, was a great mm -hmm. and and situationally, you know, really clutch hitter, um, just was a fantastic, fantastic piece to add. Um, at third base. And now they're going to have to go to uh, Jalen Flores, who's wildly talented, a guy who I worried might um, 
might get drafted first day draft and, and not make his way to campus. Um, and so the fact that they got him on campus and it may have had to do with the fact that Pierce said, no, no, you'll start day one. It's yours. Um, but that's really hard to do, man. Third base is, is, um, tough, tough at the collegiate level to play. And then also to be expected to be a, a big bat. I think I saw, um, the, the lineup for the, the opening game. He's, uh, he's batting fourth as well. So no pressure, young gun, but, uh, pressure. Um, and then on, on first base side, again, this just, when Gerald talks about resetting your expectations, I shouldn't even say these in the same sentence, but Jared Thomas <laughs> has to step in as a incredibly, incredibly high upside, super talented freshman, but step in and fill in for Ivan Melendez, right? When you're replacing a Golden Spikes winner, a guy who led the country in like six out of the eight batting statistics last year and actually was no slouch on the defensive side, was a, a really solid defensive first baseman, way better than I think all of us anticipated him being as he moved from DH and, and actually got better hitting while he played on the field. But there's going to be mistakes from freshmen like Jer- Jer- Jalen Flores, Jared Thomas, I mean, uh, are going to be very good, but you have to you have to kind of just take some lumps and, and understand that that it's going to be there, right? You have to anticipate that. And then not only that, right? Mitchell Daly was a really good defensive second baseman, really good. But now he moves to shortstop, and we think he's going to be really good there as well. But replacing Trey Faltini, tough. But you also lose him at second base with that really good connection that Daly and Faltini had where they were one of the better double play units in the country. Now Jack O'Dowd, who is a utility player but didn't play a ton uh, at second base, will step in there and try to try to pick up from him. So, Again, all across, and then like you said, you know, if it's if it's Gimat, if it's whoever, it, it, it the catcher, even with um, new uh, student assistant coach Cameron Rupp in there to, to try to bring some glory days back to behind the plate. It's, I mean, whoever had the the kind of misfortune of stepping in and catching after Silas Arduan is is just you know one of the most professional college players I've ever seen. Guy just never made a mistake, did everything right, threw guys out at an unbelievable, you know, clip uh, at the college level. Uh I, I just, you know, it, it was gonna be tough for anyone, but you know, when when the entire team also is going on top of that, it's 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 gonna be tough. And so can they be very good? Because last year they were elite, one of the best statistically, and, and we saw it with our eyes, one of the best defenses in the country. Um, they basically hit dingers and played good defense, which is a fun combo. Um, but can they still be very good, right? They don't have to be the best defense in the country, but can they still be good, great, very good? You know, where do they fall in that? That will that will tell us a lot. And I think we're going to find out a lot about this Texas team. I say I think I know we're going to find out a lot about this Texas team straight out the gate. Opening weekend this weekend, Arkansas. Number eight team in the country, a team that will likely compete for both the SEC and the national championship on Friday. Saturday, they've got Missouri, tough out. And then Sunday, number 10, Vandy, right? They've got the uh, SEC Freshman of the Year coming back, uh, who's an All-American. Like, Vandy was an absolutely uh, phenomenal team a year ago. Like, we're going to find out what this team is made of early. Uh, And so we could probably set our – we'll be back next week setting our expectations about, well, that went better than expected, or that sucked, or maybe somewhere in the middle. I don't know. But we're going to find out early. Yeah, Texas's schedule is, I will say, on the whole – easier than last year maybe even by you know a a you know variable it is quite a bit easier it does not open easier it's going to be really tough these might be you know three of the toughest games they play outside of conference all year so there is some chance i think you know again we've had years where we started off really hot and then the wheels fell off we had years where it's like wow this team is doomed and then they came back so don't read too much into the beginning of this as this is a young team they're going to get better i could see texas being you know, if we talked about in the fourth to fifth range, whatever, fifth to sixth even, um, but playing really well at the end of the season where they're the team you don't want to play because a lot of those freshmen have started to step up. A lot of the defense has gelled. They kind of have found their order and their rotation. Um, you know, we, we can talk just a little bit about the, the rest of the conference. Um, no one has it figured out. Everyone is is replacing a ton of talent. So that works somewhat to Texas's advantage. But, um, you know, just know it's, it's going to be a, a really, really strong test right from the beginning. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it like Gerald has alluded to, and I, I think I've mentioned a couple times as well, Texas finishing third or fourth is a really good year. The, the Basically the top two teams in the conference, Oklahoma State is the unanimous favorite. They're really good. They bring a lot, for, as far as bringing people back, they bring the most back. They had nine guys go to the draft too, but they bring 
I think a 27th year senior in Nolan McLean, who somehow is still. He's been, he's been there since 1984. That's right. Sure. That's right. He was played with Robin Ventura on that uh, Oklahoma State team. No, he he somehow is still there. But a two way player who is a phenomenal pitcher is you know an All American last year, led their team in home runs. Just a masher, right? He's he's very good, and then you know is probably not their best player, right? Rock Riggio um, is a is a top 10 talent and, and a likely player of the year candidate. Um, so that's, you know, they have a lot. And then they just went out and did the thing in the portal that, that frustrates you. They probably got, if he's not the single best portal pickup in, in you know, the country as in the, the pitching staff, he's at least the best in the Big 12. And Jerron Watts-Brown from Long Beach State, who just was phenomenal last year. And the fact that they got a first round talent, you know, pitcher, out of the portal over everyone is is definitely frustrating. But, I mean, that's just to say Oklahoma State is very, very good. And TCU is really, really good, too. I think Oklahoma State's a little bit more complete. But, look, Braden Taylor is a Ivan Melendez light guy who could light up and lead the nation in five, you know, statistics. He also steals a lot of bases, but he's a great hitter. Um, he's projected, I think, right now as like a top 10 player, top five player, uh, top, uh, top five pick uh, in MLB.com. So, I mean, he's he's legit a player of the year candidate those ones i mentioned eliza nunez might be the fastest in the conference so a lot of the best players play on those two teams so those are going to be your favorites right um ou texas are reloading a ton texas tech also reloading a lot don't sleep on ou as much as i hate to say that like spikerman jackson nicholas could both have years that put them in the player of the year conversation uh, above all those guys I just talked about. And if either or both of those happen, watch out for OU, man. I mean, they got hot. You saw it last year, made it all the way to the College World Series championship. I mean, they thankfully didn't win it, but they, no one expected them to be quite as good as they were. They had 11 players drafted. You know, it, it, they're replacing an unbelievable amount, but there's still some talent there. So that's kind of who Texas is competing against, right? It's it's those teams right there. There's a tier below them. Hopefully no one jumps up and, and, and is better than expected, but Texas has to beat one or, or multiples of those teams to get their place, basically, uh, in the final rankings. It's going to be an interesting year. Uh, the Big 12, I think, is going to be a knife fight, especially in the middle of the pack. Uh, so I'm curious to see how it all shakes out. Texas opens the season tomorrow. So like we said, we're going to find out early and often what this Texas team is capable of. They'll be in Arlington at the Big Ten Can. They're taking on number eight, Arkansas. Seven o'clock, God's time on Friday, the day after you listen to this podcast, hopefully. Uh, and our preview bears out, and you're like, oh, you guys are worried about nothing. Texas handled Arkansas. Probably not, but... I'd be glad to be wrong when we when we record next week. So that's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. Number five, Texas men's basketball uh, absolutely just put West Virginia through a table before traveling to Lubbock and struggling with the home crowd and the dirt and the smell, losing 74 to 67. Texas relinquished its sole ownership of the top spot in the conference, but still is uh, at, in that uh, crowded top group with Baylor and Kansas with just a few games left on the schedule. Men's basketball, how many times have we said it, is in the, the toughest conference. I'll talk about it a little bit in my bang the drum of just how tough it is to go anywhere in this conference and win on the road. It's a uh, spoiler alert. It's very tough. Um, both the men and women this week, you know, it, that that second game quickly uh, in a back-to-back -back is, is tough, especially Valentine's week. These kids are thinking about their sweethearts, you know, one and one for these teams. These, these are good good results, especially when you – it should count as two wins against West Virginia. When you win by 34, like, it should be at least one and a half win to one loss. Um, but, no, I mean, look, t t Tech had a player uh, the only time – UT fans hate seeing a Harmon get that hot, right? Who just couldn't miss. I think there was a point when he was like, you know, talking to the scorers table and just threw a hook shot from 65 feet away and it went in. That didn't really happen, but it felt like that. It felt like he could not miss a single thing. And I think he cried and swam in the, uh, the, uh, confetti that tech seemingly dropped for their, their national championship win over Texas. Um, it was a little disheartening how much the, that meant to them, but they won. That's good for them. Great. Uh, Texas struggled from the stripe, even though they're leading the, the, the conference in free throws. Marcus Carr looks great. The worrying thing there, Gerald, just to kind of sum this up, Marcus Carr did his 23 points, six assists in that one. Um, he, you know, 16 points, four assists, four rebounds, three steals against West Virginia. Um, what happens 
besides Marcus Carr or if Marcus Carr doesn't step up. We've said Jabari Rice has been that guy, but if Rice is off, and in this game, you know, he had he had eight. Uh, Timmy Allen had two. Dylan Mitchell had two. Who steps up for this Texas team? Hunter had nine, and we're kind of celebrating that like a win, but that's different than what we thought, you know, a few games into the season, does, does Hunter have a gear that he can shift into? He definitely stepped up in the postseason last year for Iowa State. Is is that on the horizon for Texas? I'm not worried about the team per se. I just worry if you know it's an off night for any one or two of the kind of big three guys. What what happens? And and again, we know what happens when when Texas faces a big um, and gets a, a team that gets hot from three. Almost every team in the country, by the way, can say that same thing. Uh, it's tough to win when they have a really good big and they, you know, hit sixty percent from three. So I, I, I doesn't doesn't ruin me. Uh, you know, I, I hate to say the next few might be must wins back at home um, if they want to, you know, get the win the conference and likely if you win the conference you get a one or two seed. So um, there's a lot to play for for Texas and. Um, you know, I, I wish they could have gone two and zero in these games, but just at least win all your home ones and, and things are still in play. For context, Kyle means a must win to win the conference. That is what he's saying. Here. Sure. So yes, uh, Texas will be back next two games. Hard to win on the road. Much easier to win at home. Got Oklahoma State and Iowa State uh, this weekend uh, coming up at the Mood. There are only five regular season games left, and it's going to be a knife fight to get at the top. The number 23 women's basketball team also goes one and one. This Their matchup was against Iowa State and Texas Christian University. So they got a big one over TCU, 70 to 50. And then lost by five. They were bit down big early and then came back. It seemed like they had some uh, fatigue based on that two-day turnaround. But uh, they trailed by 15 halfway through the fourth quarter. Got it to three with three minutes remaining. And then the, the last couple of minutes uh, got out of hand for them. Texas, again, is no longer sitting atop the Big 12 solo. They're still up there. 11-3 and three conference record for them. Vic's team holds the other team to under 60 points, as they did in the TCU game. They improved to 16-0 in those games. When they give up more than 60 points, as they did to 66 points to the uh, the Cyclones in Ames, they fell to 4-6 and six on the year. So there's a very clear formula. Uh, Texas scores some points, play some defense, keep them from scoring points, and uh, it works out well. Again, I like to see the fight. They trailed by as many as 15 halfway through the fourth quarter and got it to three inside three it so they had heart it was there just you know that's a good Iowa State team that honestly needed it real real bad um they they were I don't know if their postseason hopes were slipping but they certainly were not where they expected to be at this point in the year and they needed that win and and you know stepped up and got it to their credit um I will say congrats to coach Schaefer the win over TCU was his 10th straight season with 20 wins which is just phenomenal um how hard that is to do across multiple schools so um Congrats to Vic and uh, the Horns on that. I know you know he won't care. He's just starting uh, in, in mid-February <laughs> to look at the season now and his goals lying ahead of him. Um, but, I mean, that, that was their seventh consecutive conference win, right? You don't have win streaks that go to double digits. Eventually, you are going to lose one of those, especially when you have to go on the road. So um, it's okay. Rory Harmon in that one was great, though, 19.6. Uh, she's uh, moved up to fourth all-time in the career assist at UT already as a sophomore. Um the bigs, you know, have been big in Taylor Jones in that first one, double-double. Deanna Gaston, uh, you know, putting up nearly a double-double both games. So I think they're all right. I think they're good. Um, we know Iowa State from a talent standpoint is probably um, the, the, the other most talented team in the conference. So to go in on the road with two days turnaround, again, Valentine's Day looming. Uh, tough, tough loss there, but um, I think they'll bounce back well. Texas has just four games left on the schedule two at home one of which is against west virginia on sunday looking to improve on their 11 and 3 conference record softball kicks off the season to a solidly successful outing uh with the ncfa leadoff classic they went 2-1 and 1 in that and then beat lamar in their home opener on wednesday 8 to two beat number 23 Missouri lost to uh, number eight Northwestern their game against Tennessee was canceled they lost uh, beat Illinois seven nothing and then tied with Kentucky because well Kentucky had to get on the road by 330 yeah that's number 17 Kentucky number 23 Missouri number 17 Kentucky since the SEC uh, announcement 
was official. Uh, Texas has not lost to an SEC school. Um, so they beat one and, and tied the other. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, just getting started Good for Good it. Good pull for SEC play. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, a, a tough, right? Uh, number eight, Northwestern. Number 23, Missouri. Number 17, Kentucky. These are good, good teams. Uh, number 12, Tennessee. Uh, cancellation, you know, it happens. Uh, but uh, good start. They started real bad last year and made it to the national championship game. So I don't know what that means for us. But uh, one thing I do know for sure is that Mia Scott is as good as advertised. Name of the all-tournament team. Um Kind of doing uh, her best. Janae Jefferson hit about 500 in the opening tournament. Uh, seven hits, eight RBIs, five stolen bases. Just looks like she's going to be uh, all-American caliber player as we all kind of hope she would step in and, and be the leader of this team. Yeah, hitting 467, pretty good, right? That's that's not bad. It's not a bad outing for her. Seems pretty good. I, I uh, yeah, I'll run the numbers, but it seems pretty good. I would call it a solidly solid outing for them only 16 basically one player from each team made the all tournament team so uh she took the spot for texas next up for the ladies they will host the texas classic this weekend they've got loyola chicago and omaha coming to town for that and then the lone star invitational the week after with abilene christian virginia tech uh, and uh, texas southern going to be in town Uh, number eight Women's golf takes eight at the Teresa Hessen Regional Challenge of California to open up the spring season. Uh, Sophie Guo finished second tied to the individual rankings. Next up for them, the Darius Rucker Intercollegiate at Hilton Head, South Carolina, February 27th. So uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend. So they ended up going to Hawaii for the Amer Ari Invitational, but it was canceled due to win. So they ended up playing match play because you don't go to Hawaii and not try to get around in. So they played against Georgia Tech on Friday instead. Travis Dick, Christian Moss, uh, Jacob Sosa, and Tommy Morrison posted the individual wins for the Horns. Yeah, that's three freshmen there, including, as we've mentioned, very large human Tommy Morrison in his first UT uh, action Um Nearly seven foot and one and zero now in his career. Very uh, nice to see Travis Vick getting getting the win as well. Um, just going back, Gerald, I do want to kind of point out you you didn't say anything. No jokes were made about the fact that women's golf's next um, tournament is the Darius Rucker Intercollegiate at South Carolina. That's uh, that is that is the 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 hootie on the links. Only want to be with. I got nothing. I got no golf puns. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I just think more attention needs to be paid to the fact that the golf tournament in South Carolina is named after Darius Hootie and the Blowfish Rucker. After six years of this podcast, I figured we could just let that one rock like a wagon wheel, Kyle. But it's fine. It's fine. It's <laughs> Thank okay. You. Thank you. Keep, I'm, a, I'm a simple man. I like simple things. <laughs> Oh, man. Keeping it country club. Number one, women's tennis falls in the Elite Eight of the ITA indoors to number 14, Iowa State. They swept host Washington in the round of 16. They also got a win over Oklahoma in the consolation match. UNC went on to beat UGA for the championship in that one. Number seven, men's tennis. Uh, 1-2, defeating number 18, Arizona, and Pepperdine 5-2. Newly number one, Elliot Spazieri got two ranked wins for his trouble. Yes, Missouri is the first men's tennis player to be ranked number one in singles uh, since 2015. Um, he's also, I believe, his doubles partnership with CM Woldiab is number four in the country. So uh, easy to say. He's one of the best players out there. He was also named the Big 12 Men's Tennis Player of the Week for his efforts this week. Stop me if you heard this before, Kyle. The Texas track team broke some records this weekend. This isn't a repeat. Number four men's and number one women's track were at the Tiger Paw Invite this weekend. Marcellus Moore broke a uh, school record in the 60. He ran the 60 in 6.56. Finished second in that. First of all, the collegiate athletes, but a professional got out there ahead of him. The women's 4x4 team broke the school record in that event. The men, for their troubles, ran the 10th fastest time in school history. Uh, Rasadat Adeleke, the member of the 4x4 team, also won the 200. The distance team was actually at the David Henry Valentine Invitational elsewhere, but they were setting records as well. Track uh, records seem to me to be like the 
like a goldfish. Like you just get, you got to have a short memory. You win, you win a, a set of school record. Someone, your, your teammate might break it the next week. Um, they are just knocking things that have been there for years off the, off the shelf. So uh, I like it. I like that the, both the athletes as well as the records uh, fast and furious. Records were made to be broken, at least for the Texas track team. Valerie Tobias, 35-year-old record, ran 1,000 meters in less than three hours. Wait, no, 1,000 meters long, 1,000 meters long. Three. What's the... Oh, she in less than... She ran it in less than three minutes, four minutes. Where are we How looking? How long at? is a thousand? Um, I don't. <clears throat> I don't. I think Valerie it's Tobias. Yeah, I think it's three minutes. I don't think it's three hours. Three minutes. Yeah, because it's it's te- it's ten hundred yard dashes. Yeah, or hundred yeah, meter dashes. Yeah. Valerie Tobias, for her trouble, ran the hundred meters in less than three minutes. Kyle or. Ran the thousand meters in less than three minutes. Kyle, I am concerned that I wouldn't be able to run the hundred meters in less than three minutes <laughs> at this time in my life. The thing that's crazier, Gerald, is that record seems like an old record. Uh, it's been since 1988, which you know, somewhere around 20 years. I don't want to say what it actually is because 1988 was only a couple years ago. It was not that long ago. It's not what you'd call an old record. I wouldn't call that record old. It's just a, it's a it's a fairly well aged record that she broke. You leave it on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's not an old record. You leave it on the shelf. <laughs> Except they did. They took it off the shelf. Things so things from from the eighties, from the late eighties, are perfectly fine. They're not old. Okay, it's fine. Just leave them as they are. Anyways, moving. Not on. even a little bit. Not old at all. <laughs> Get it together, Texas track. You're killing me. All right, Gerald. Now let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. Uh, big news. Big news, uh, Gerald. You got to to make a. I, I would say criminally underrated tweet um, about this, but um, I'll steal I'll it here. It's fine. It's on beaches is, is, is the tweet. Um, that's right. Uh, beach volleyball, the, the sister sport upcoming to the national champion women's uh, indoor hardwood, we now have to say, uh, volleyball. Um, this is the sand variety played outdoors. They had their first ever practice it's officially a real sport um how awesome gerald would it be to to play college to get paid to go to college to play volleyball in the sand like your you know maverick and or goose me personally not great i'm terrible i'm I, my feet are very <laughs> slow the sand but like for texas and i mean this we're not gonna be shy to say this we'll have we'll have uh, our, our friend on in a couple weeks to talk about the director's cup but um Texas padding the Directors' Cup stats here as well feels like a win-win-win. Yeah, I mean, right now, all of the Texas teams are currently ranked. All Any sport that Texas has at any point during the season up to now either finished the season or is currently in their current iteration ranked in the top 25. That's very awesome. This is... This is an incredible program, and Crystal Conti is doing some things. But we're talking about some alumni here because we're in the burnt orange lenses. So... Um, the most important sporting win that happened this week in the state of Arizona. I think it's very easy to say that. I, I don't think anyone would argue with that. In in Phoenix, the Waste Management Phoenix Open champion, Scotty Scheffler, got his fifth PGA Tour victory, which seems crazy because he won just his, his first ever a year ago. This is now his fifth one year later at his return to Phoenix. Um one of the the most fun PGA events, um, and you know, just great to see a Longhorn winning on Sunday in Arizona in the most important sporting event. I mean, this he, this is his what fifth uh, victory. He's now back at where he belongs, number one in the world. So like, that's a big win for him. Um, and his first ever event was there. His first ever tour win was at the same event last year, right? The Waste Management Open. So like, big ups to him. Yeah, we, we, we love it. Uh, we love it for Scotty. Um, we'll just we'll just transition right there because there was another sporting event on Sunday in the state of Arizona. Doesn't really matter who won or who lost. All we know is that Longhorn legend, Longhorn graduate, I believe, um, Longhorn yep. former Longhorn quarterback and UT graduate. So we'll claim it. Uh, <laughs> Got his T ring, baby. Shane Bouchelle, uh is a Super Bowl champion. 
So we love that for him in our burn orange lenses, seeing a Longhorn celebrate. Um, now, was he the, the quarterback who quarterbacked the most um, for the Chiefs? That's not important. Uh, if Mahomes, in fact, would have uh, not been faking you know, his, his injury, or I don't say that. He probably was hurting. But if he didn't have all the right morphine and uh, pain-killing drugs to not feel anything beneath the knee, um, would Bouchelle have been the quarterback who came in? Again, still probably not. But that's not important. He got a Super Bowl ring, and he has more than, than you and me combined. Speaking of the guy who, who would have come in, Chad Henney hangs it up <laughs> after a really impressive <laughs> career. Another Texas connection there. Uh, go back and watch that Michigan Rose Bowl. Chad Henney was the quarterback for that team. He just retired after being a career backup. Well, not a career backup. He was a backup for like the last, what, eight-ish years. Made like 15 mil, got a Super Bowl out of it. Not, not, not a bad way to live your life. It's fine to call Chad Henney a career backup. I think he started for like two years, and we quickly were like, nope, that's not, as, not him. As a, as a Miami Dolphins fan, <laughs> he played like a backup when he was the starter. I'll say fair, it like that. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, let's leave Chad Henney alone, um, unlike Vince did in that Rose Bowl. Uh, so, other, keeping in Arizona, baby. Uh, the biggest news in sports this past week, those same denizens of the city of, of Phoenix had some sports coming to them. Kevin Durant. We, we teased it on this podcast, which we recorded also on Wednesday last week, that, hey, at nine whatever o'clock, Kevin Durant, you know, they're saying he probably won't be traded before the deadline, which means he'll definitely be traded. And we, we posted the, the podcast, and, and like 11 minutes later in the middle of the night, the news broke that Kevin Durant, in fact, had been traded uh, into those very Phoenix Suns. So incredibly interesting, a, another... Durant goes somewhere in the entire, you know, league tilts and power dynamics tilts towards where he goes, just showing what an important player he is. Um, that team's going to be really, really, really interesting. They're already very, very good. Um, adding Kevin Durant makes them very, very, very good, I think is how that works. Um, but so he's still out right now with an injury, but when he comes back, um, should be should be much watch, must watch TV. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see him, and they didn't have to give up eight in, in the trade, which was interesting. So, yeah. like, they're going to be really, really good. Kevin Durant might mess around and win a uh, a championship with a different big-ish three that he was supposed to win one with, and that's fine. Yeah, it, it, yeah very interesting. Uh, um, <laughs> other players have gone other places, and and Harden with the Sixers, and and uh, Irving with the with the Mavs. I still think Durant has the best chance, but if that gets Chris Ball a championship after all these years, it will be it will be interesting. Um, Gerald, speaking of must-see TV, on the 18th, on, on uh, Saturday, I don't know what day is that. Yeah. On Saturday, February 18th, our very own Jericho Sims will be featured in the 2023 AT&T Slam Dunk Contest. Um, he was a, a late addition. I'm very curious to see if he chooses just to jump up and put his feet on the rim and dunk that way. Because my man has absolute uh, jetpacks attached to him where he can just jump real high. Maybe he'll do some crazy creative stuff. His dunks usually are just ferocious with the amount that he gets above the uh, above the rim. Interesting group of, of participants. Kenyon Martin Jr., again, if you just want to feel old on this podcast, is the other one. Trey Murphy the third, And then Mac McClung is in this. So I'm very curious to see uh, an all-time hated uh, Texas basketball opponent, Mac McClung, go against an all-time Texas great, Jericho Sims. I forgot Mac McClung existed, and I'm so glad that I did. <laughs> you can go right back to it after Saturday um, once he loses to Jericho Sims. Gerald, two people who you should not forget existed in, in the U.S. Soccer Federation has certainly not forgot um, is or are, rather, Lexi, uh, Miss Mo, and Trinity Byers, uh, two incredible players on UT's remarkable conference championship season last year, um, were two of the 12 collegiate players to be selected for the U.S. U23 youth national team. They'll be traveling to France for 10 days to train in that camp with some professionals as well as, you know, make their mark and, and kind of this is the last level before full national team. So um, a good chance for them to showcase why they should be the, you know, in the next big tournament as the women's um, uh, tournament is, is, is taking place this week as we speak for the full uh, senior team. Uh, they will be making their case to be in the future teams to come. 
they are two of the 12 uh, collegiate players selected in that 20-member team. So Texas, one of only three schools with multiple people selected. Marcus Carr, named to the Naismith Trophy Player of the Year midseason team. Barry Wentz deserved. Carr's playing you know, all-conference, borderline All-American. He is uh, the consistent thing on the number, I think they're now number six team in the country. So well, well-earned. This is the Marcus Carr we all hoped we got in the transfer portal two years ago. I mean, we said it, that him not having to be the primary point guard would turn out to him playing better. And he's averaging, he leads the team in scoring, assists, steals, minutes per game, right? Like all of those things go together. But um, he has been able to play more free and be more of himself uh, when he's not having to be the primary trigger man uh, for Texas. And it's seeming like the team is better because of it. Absolutely. Gerald, let's send this thing home with a little bit of Godzilla Tron. What are you going to watch on your giant screen? Uh, so, uh, interesting week and weirdly Jason Siegel centric. We'll, we'll just go back to that. Uh, so I have been keeping up with shrinking. I've been keeping up with shrinking on Apple TV. If you don't have Apple TV, you're missing out. It's really good. Uh, Ted Lasso comes back in like uh, a week or two weeks. So, uh, you'll be able to binge both. I think at that time, which is great. Um, but shrinking, it keeps getting better. This week's episode is really good. And I said words that I had never said before. They found a really good cover of a print song. I've never once uh, heard a song. I was like, Oh, this person did it in a different way than Prince, and I don't hate it. So it's interesting. The song Bill Lawrence always kills it with the soundtracks on these shows. Harrison Ford doing actual acting, which is nice to see. Um, so we also, Family Night Pizza Night Movie Night this week, was the 2011 Muppets movie. If you haven't seen it, it's really fun, really charming, like should not be as good as it is. Great musical like the Muppets used to be. Jason Siegel is a big Muppets person. Like if you Go back and like watch Forgetting Sarah Marshall. He's a Muppets person. Um, so does a really great job for it. Like he takes it seriously, but also not at the same time. And it really works. Uh, and then if you listened last week, I was doing a, I finished off a rewatch of the Scream franchise um, to whet my appetite for the movie that comes out next month. I'm going to watch it with a friend of the show who doesn't listen, Mario. Um, and so I, I've fallen back down a 90s teen movie uh, rabbit hole and can hardly wait holds up. Like, let's just go ahead and point that out. Like, it's it is um, I, it holds up like eighty percent of it. Like, the casual homophobia of the late nineties and early two thousands does not hold up. But like the plotting and the acting and like it, the thing I love about these like those types of movies is like the the lat the late stages of high school or like getting into like leaving for college is such this like weird insular emotional moment uh in life like everything that you knew before is ending and you're moving into something different and the way that that movie captures it as an ensemble piece that kind of takes place one night at a kind of a big before everybody leaves for college rager uh is really really great and i love movies that can capture those types of moments i think to like Friday Night Lights is going to be one that I watch uh, in a moment where like the, the end scene where they're all after losing in the playoffs, right? Like that moment where they capture that like feeling of we're never going to play football again. Some of us were never going to play football with these people again. We've been playing it for decades, right? I love movies that capture that feeling and Can't Hardly Wait does it really well of that like high school's over. We're all moving on to different things. And especially, you know, 30 years ago uh, when like the internet or like Twitter and Facebook weren't big or weren't things at all where you couldn't stay connected with folks like we can today. It was a really, really interesting movie to watch. And I really enjoyed it. I love it. I love the little bit of nostalgia. I love uh, Bill Lawrence and shrinking. I don't love the Sinead O'Connor erasure of um, Prince cover songs. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I will keep it simple. Gerald, uh, this week with what I what I watched, there were a couple things I could put in here, but I'm just going to use three words: John, Wick, and three. Um, keep them coming. John Wick four can't get here soon enough. Uh, like, just why is this not? You know, every month a new John Wick comes out. It's it's perfect in its simplicity and in what it does. I don't know. Maybe I would get tired of it. It's just so. Um, doesn't try to be something that it isn't and i kind of really appreciate that uh gerald what are you more excited for the the john wick 4 release on march 24th or the ted lasso season 3 release on march 15th it's got to be ted lasso it's got to be ted lasso like um the the 
positive masculinity is at an all-time high right now between the Kelsey brothers and Ted Lasso. Like there's a, and the Mandalorian comes out at the beginning of March too. And that's like pop the positive masculinity as well. Right? Like positive masculinity is at an all-time high and I'm loving it. I love that take. I love that take a lot, Gerald. Um, good Godzilla Tron. So that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, I've said it once and I'll say it again. Texas is a basketball school. Um, Since opening the mood, they pretty much don't lose there. They're like, you know, 20, they're like 25 and two or something like that in their games there. They've sold out every single men's game. Women are averaging seven, 8,000 a night. I mean, it's, it's an incredible venue. It's a basketball school. We know that. Um, it's confirmed by the fact that Texas is one of only three programs who's ranked in both the men's and women's side and has 20 wins, the other being Gonzaga, who only has basketball, and UCLA, who will talk your ear off about how they are the penultimate, or no, excuse me, the ultimate, um, basketball program and and then Texas. So there's something to be said for that. Texas truly men's and women's right now is a basketball school, but we talked about it a little bit in um, or down the 40. Uh, Texas is playing in a basketball conference. The big 12 is good at a lot of things, but the thing, you know, that it is top to bottom, the best at is basketball right now. Men's basketball specifically, the women's is quite good as well. Um, I went and looked because we said it's hard to win at the mood. It's hard to win uh, for other teams coming in. It's it's hard to win on the road for Texas. I went and looked. Texas has one of the by far best uh, road records with with four true road wins um, this year. But it, it's really, really hard. If you look just at the season, uh, the way these teams in the Big 12 have defended their home court, Texas has the best record at 14-1. and one. Baylor 13 and 2, Kansas 12 and 1, Kansas State 12 and 1. You know who that one loss is. Iowa State 12 and 1. Uh, Oklahoma State 11 and 2, TCU 11 and 3, West Virginia 11 and 3. Tech, who's not even great this season, uh, is 11 and 4 at their home court. Like it's it's really, 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 really hard to go into any of these big uh, Big 12 schools arena and win Oklahoma is the worst at seven and six but even then they have a winning record uh at home it's it's really hard to do so anytime that Texas can do it uh you know count those precious wins um as as truly special and, and again don't overreact when Texas you know I know that the loss to Tech sucks it's those fans are the worst they play in a a place named after a supermarket which is you know a big big L for everybody who has to even go in there but uh it's tough. Even at Tech, even wherever you go, West Virginia, it's tough. It's tough to do uh, in the Big 12. Everyone is really, really, really good at home. But, of course, Texas is the best. The Big 12 is the best basketball conference in the country, and it's not even close. And so um, the winner of the conference, we've said it each each week, is going to have at least four wins or four losses, uh, potentially five losses, because, well, half of their games in this um absolute knife fight of a conference come on the road and it's darn near impossible to win away from home in the conference i'm banging the drum this week on a haircut so if you're not on social media you didn't see this but uh texas quarterback presumptive starter next year even though there's going to be a competition air quotes quinn ewers uh shaved his mullet that he's been growing for at think at least three if not four football seasons um and there was a lot made of the mullet. Obviously there's some jokes about it and it kind of became his signature. It looked very, very terrible Joe dirt. Um, but let's not make too much of a haircut. Let me just say it like that. Uh, there are, there were Twitter conversations and articles written about how is this symbolic of Quinn Ewers taking the job more seriously and blah, 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 blah. And I don't know. It's February. So, like, we, they haven't even finished winter workouts, winter conditioning. They haven't taken a single snap of install. Install will probably start here in the next couple of weeks. But, like, let's just chill. Like, let's not try to pontificate. People are already predicting 
lofty, lofty expectations for Texas. Again, there are a lot of statistics that show that Texas could be really good this year, but we've been saying that now for what feels like 95 years. So like, let's not make too much of a haircut. Let's just chill. Quinn does look much better. He does not look like somebody that would sell you bootleg fireworks out of the back of his van anymore, which is great. But sometimes a haircut, just a haircut. Look, shave there, Gerald. I was curious how you were going to uh, land it. I, I, I will say, um, if this ends up being a reverse Samson kind of situation, then then it makes perfect sense. And obviously, he's going to take a step up from freshman to sophomore. We'll all blame the the haircut, but it is it is just a haircut. Even if he is now making uh, ridiculous between the legs catches um, that were better than most of our receivers during during last season. I don't know. Again, it seems like superpowers have been unlocked. If we win our first five. Next year, I'm willing to believe it was 100% the haircut. But until then, yeah, I'll agree with you. Just a haircut. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can follow me at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. Texas is a basketball school.